Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve shares with us part one of a study titled, The God of the Living. We begin in Mark chapter 11 as Jesus confronts the spiritual leaders of his day. Grab your Bible if you're able and follow along. And thank you for joining us. Now, here's Pastor Steve. So I want to jump right into this. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And what he's taught, what they're talking about is the day before when he turns over all the tables. Who gave you the right to do these things? Who gave you this authority? Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and then I will tell you what authority I do these things. Was John the Baptist, was his baptism from heaven or was it from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another. He's talking to the religious leaders, saying, if we say it's from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say it's from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know where it's from. And Jesus said to them, neither then will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You guys, they had a high priest. The high priest was appointed for life. So when Jesus did this in Mark eleven fifteen, the priest was probably thinking to himself, who does this guy think he is? Right? Like, like what authority? I'm the leader of this house. I've been appointed by the law. Nothing happens in this place unless I say it happens. So you can't turn tables over unless I tell you you can turn tables over. I'm the high priest anointed by God's law. And so when Jesus enters the temple the next day, they confront him. They want to know, who gave you the right to do this? Caiaphas didn't give you the right. And a, Ananias didn't give you the right, who, or Annas didn't give you the right, who gave you the right? And so, you know, they were upset, and Jesus, you know, does what he does when anybody's upset. He invites them to sit down and have a cup of coffee and discuss their hurt feelings, right? Well, why is it that you're hurt? He doesn't do that, you guys. Not at all. In fact, he seems to not even acknowledge whatever authority they did have. I mean, think about it, moms, right? If you if, if, if you say to your kid, you, 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 you ask them a question, right, and, you, and, and, and they don't answer you, and you would say to them, I need you to answer me. I asked you a question, and they don't answer you. Answer me. And then they look back at you, and they say, okay, mom, I'll answer you if you answer me. How would you feel about that? Dads, how would you feel about that? <laughs> Moms are like, well, you know, dads are like, forget that. <laughs> you guys, it's safe to say that you wouldn't be happy. So here's the thing, you guys. The Pharisees did have the authority over the temple, right? They, they did have the authority, and Jesus fulfills 
all the law. So he obeys the law. Numbers 18.1, God gives the authority to Aaron and his sons. He said, you're over all the sanctuary. You, you, you're responsible for everything that happens in the sanctuary. And then he says, and you're responsible for everything that happens in the priesthood. So not just the sanctuary is your responsibility, not all that happens there, but everything that happens with the people that work in the sanctuary. So listen, in other words, keep the house of God pure and clean and make sure that the servants are the same. Well, what happens when they abuse their authority? And, and they turn the house of God into something that it was never meant to be. What happens when they use God's house for their own interest, because that's what they were doing, right? And something that God never intended, or when they start to rule over people with fear, like they did in John 9 and John 12, that people were afraid to say anything or they would be kicked out of the synagogue. What happens when the rulership or the leadership of the house of God goes south? What, what happens? Does everybody just, you know, play along? Well, here's what happened in this situation. The one who has all authority in heaven and in earth shows up and he renders a judgment on the house. He renders a judgment on the house by turning everything over. And when they ask him, what right do you have to do this? He asks them a question that reveals the issues of their heart. It reveals the main issues of their heart. He asked them, I will tell you what, my answer will come after yours. Was John's baptism from men or was it from God? When they reasoned amongst themselves, they said, if we say it was from God, he's going to say, why don't you believe him then? We can't say that. In other words, you guys, they had chosen not to believe. Do you see that? They've chosen not to believe no matter what. It was their decision. Well, we can't tell them that John's baptism was from God because then he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? Well, because we've chosen not to believe him. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what we're shown. It's the same thing you remember in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, when Stephen is standing before the people, the leaders that killed Jesus, and he preaches the gospel to them all the way from the Old Testament all the way to the New. Then he looks at them and he says, you stiff-necked people, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. What is he telling them? You guys have made a decision to resist it. And it doesn't matter what God says to you. It doesn't matter what God shows you. You've already made up your mind. Folks, unbelief for these religious people was a choice. It was a choice. They knew that to believe in Jesus as their Messiah, that the kingdom that they had built, the authority structure that they had been given, all of that would come to an end. They understood that they would be just like everybody else. They would be like the fishermen. They would be like the tax collector. They would be on their knees before Christ. They wouldn't be any different. And they had built this massive monument to themselves. And they understood that would all come to an end. You guys, unbelief is a choice. There's a lot of motivations behind it. But it is a choice. They would have had to humble themselves, and most of all, they would have had to have admitted that their need was not found in obeying the law because they were still broken and empty. You guys, they 
would have had to believe that there was something more needed to be right with God than just trying to obey a set of rules. So listen, unbelief protected them from humility. It protected them. Because as long as I don't believe, I don't have to humble myself. As long as I choose not to believe for whatever reason, I don't have to listen to you, right? And that is always the byproduct of unbelief. Unbelief gives the sinner the right to keep pursuing whatever they want regardless of what God thinks. Now, you can stamp religion on it. You can throw something on it and say, oh, praise God, I believe. But listen, in the end, unbelief is proven when a person chooses not to humble themselves, when they choose not to humble themselves before God and listen to God, unbelief protected them from having to admit that righteousness was not found in the law. It was not found in what they wore. It was not found in their position. It was not found in the seats in the synagogue. It wasn't found by the praises of men, by the lengthening of their phylacteries. Listen, belief is something that you engage in and, and you purposefully do. You acknowledge before God, you are wrong. They weren't going to do that. So they made a choice that protected them from ever having to humble themselves before God. And you guys, it's not any different than what you and I experience today. It really isn't if you think about it. Why do people choose not to believe in the truth of who Jesus is or what Jesus did on the cross? Is, is, is it the evidence? I mean, pe people have all kinds of reasons. Well, you don't understand. I, I could never believe in a God who allows this type of evil in the world. That's not a loving God. I, that, that's the reason I can't believe in God. You don't understand. I, I could never believe in a God that, that would tell the Old Testament Israelites to go and to kill the Midianites, men, women, and children. What kind of insane God is that? Well, do you understand who the Midianites were? Do you understand the wickedness that they did? Do you understand it was ingrained in them from birth that everything that they did was just ruin and kill and hurt the people around them? It doesn't matter. They're men, women, and children. I understand the men, but the women and children? So let me get this straight. You can't believe in a God who, who allows evil to exist, but then you can't believe in a God who decides to punish the evil. So which is it? I'll tell you what it is. You just have chosen not to believe in God. Romans chapter 1 says the light of creation bears witness that there is a God so that men are without excuse. Romans chapter 2 says the light of a person's conscience bears witness that there is a right and a wrong so people are out without excuse. And Romans chapter 3 says there's a light of the gospel so people are without excuse. So the evidence is all there. If you choose not to believe, it doesn't matter what evidence God shows you. Even, even Luke chapter 16, even if someone were to rise from the dead, a person still wouldn't believe. So let's be honest, man, it ain't the evidence. It's the heart. It's the heart. A person has been wounded in their past. A person is, has been taught in their past something, and they have made a choice to not believe, and that is who these people were. So the Pharisees chose not to believe, not because there was a lack of evidence. Man, if anything, these guys had evidence, right? 
They had Isaiah 61.1 that he's come to preach the good news to the poor and he's come to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison door. They knew that was the Messiah and there Jesus was doing it all. They had that evidence. They knew Hosea 11.1 says that out of Egypt, he would call, that I would call my son. And the angel gave Joseph a dream and said, get up, Herod's trying to kill him, go to Egypt. And when he's dead, I'll call you back. They knew what that prophecy was about. They understood Isaiah 28.16, I lay in Zion a foundation stone. And Jesus just got finished telling them, I'm the cornerstone that the builders had rejected. They had all the evidence of Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They had all the evidence of Isaiah when he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. They understood what the Messiah would come and establish. So their scriptures didn't let them off the hook. They chose not to believe. Folks, they had all the evidence they needed. It wasn't the evidence. Their unbelief kept them in charge. Listen, unbelief keeps you in charge. Did you know that? Unbelief allows you to keep doing what you want to do. Unbelief keeps you from having to surrender to anything of God even if you say, I believe in God, I believe in God, praise the Lord, okay? You know what the sign of believing in God is? Surrender to God. When I surrender to him, that's, the, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where I can honestly say, God has my life. But if I don't surrender to him, and I just wanna make myself feel better about my profession of faith, their unbelief kept them from submitting, and it protected them from saying, I lack. I, I, have, I have more than I need, and I don't know where to get it. But also, you guys, their fear of what the people thought about them was crippling. And this is always the case with religious people who care less about what God thinks and more about what people think. Right? These are the people that when they walk into church, they're walking on stage. You're walking on stage. It's as if there's your life out there, and, and, and that's backstage, and now we're walking into church, and we're on stage. And we dress the part. Well, some of us. <laughs> we dress the part, and we look the part, and, 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 and we say the part. All of that. Because we're on stage, and on stage you can't mess up. On stage, you're there to convince the audience that what they see is legit. You're there to draw them in to the show. That's what the stage is. And for a lot of people, church is the stage, right? You come in, because this is the stage, and Man, your, your, your life is crumbling around you. But they don't need to know that. The audience doesn't need to know that. Give them the best part of you. That, for a lot of people, is what church is. Every person's impression of us, in that case, 
becomes the idol that we bow down to. That becomes the idol. Well, what, what, what do they think about my finances and wh- where it's at? Because, you know, my, my husband talked to somebody or my wife talked to somebody who talked to somebody and now they know something or, or they, they know what I just did. Like, oh my gosh, you know, find that idol and bow down to it because that's going to get you something in heaven. And that is what it has become. That is what the four walls of churches have become for a lot of people. They coveted the people's approval so much that they didn't dare tell the people that they believed John's baptism was from men and not from God. What will they say? Well, they they, they may not honor us. They may not like us anymore. That's what they cared about. And so they answered Jesus by saying, we don't know where his baptism came from. And Jesus then responds by telling them, well, you know what? Then neither am I going to tell you by what authority I do this. It's none of your business. You guys, I see a reality in Jesus' answer to them. They never listened to him. They were always seeking to trip him up in his speech. They were constantly challenging him in his every move. They found fault in him when he healed a paralytic. They found fault in him when he healed a blind man. They weren't interested in hearing from him or being saved by him. And this is where you and I need to protect ourselves from deception. Because listen, brothers and sisters, just listen to me. You being in this church doesn't save you. It doesn't. You saying you believe in God doesn't save you. What do you mean? The demons, Jesus said, believe and they shudder. Do you know the difference between the demonic belief and the true Christian belief? Surrender and fruit. It's when you go home after a bad day, or you wake up in the morning when God's mercies are new every morning, and you get down on your hands and knees, and you're like, dear God, I'm a sinner. Would you please save me? Not blaming everybody else. We're sick from the head to the toe. That's what's happening in the church by and large. That is why God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, Turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven and I will hear their, heal their land. Do you believe God's a liar? Do you believe God's a liar? Then that's the truth. Do you want to know what the healing is for America? It's not to go spend another $700 billion on instruments of war so you can be stronger than everybody else. It's to fall on your face before God and say, God, we've sinned against you. That's how you heal the land. No other way, particularly a people who profess to know God. Now, let's take that personal. How do you heal a marriage? Well, by blaming him or by blaming her. That's how you heal it. Where? Where does a Christian ever respond like that? Do you know how you heal a marriage? Do you know how you heal it? The same way you heal a nation. You look to you. And I look to me. I'm the offender. We've lost that. 
These people weren't interested in listening to Jesus because it would cost them everything. It would cost them their surrender. Do you know that the Bible says about your faith and my faith that you do not belong to yourself? You're not the owner of your life. He's bought you with a price. So doesn't he have the right to come in and turn over tables that don't belong there? Doesn't he have the right to come in and poke your heart and say, this is not supposed to be here? Turn it over. No, turn it over. No, we love you, Lord. Turn it over. No, okay, fine, I'll turn it over. And it will be far more painful and far more offensive. And listen, far more public. Jesus went in during the most busiest time, the Passover, into the temple, and he did this in front of everybody. Do you not think that he can try to convict them personally and privately and say, look, you got to get this, you got to stop this, you got to listen to him. He was working on some of them because Nicodemus went to him by night and said, hey, we know you're a teacher sent by God, for no one can do the things that you do. And Jesus said, marvel not, unless a man's born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he has this interaction with, with, with Nicodemus, who's one of these Pharisees. So he was talking to him on his bed. You don't think he was talking to Caiaphas? You don't think he was talking to Annas? You don't think he was talking to all the Sanhedrin, all those guys? Of course he was. But they wouldn't listen, and they wouldn't listen. So he said, great, let's do this public. Let's do it openly. Because now, what you've been doing in private is going to be spoken out during the busiest time, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to turn over all the tables because it's my house, not yours. If you don't listen to the Lord, if I don't listen to the Lord, you guys, we're going to hurt. It's coming. No one in the history of humanity has ever thumbed their nose at God and just walked away into the sunset. Certainly no believer. Certainly no believer. And you know what? That should prick the heart of all of us, not condemn us, but that should really stir us up inside. If, if you're walking with the Lord and you're sensitive to God, that should stir you up inside to where something goes, okay, Lord, let's take inventory again with my life. You know, let's go home and let's take inventory. What are the things that I've been saying no, no, no to you? That should, but listen, if it doesn't do anything to you, then you know what? Show you believe. If, if, if you say you believe, great, show you believe. Isn't that what James said? If a man says that he has faith and has not works, can that faith save him? What is he talking about? Is he talking about, you know, you're, you're saved by your works? No, he's saying that when a person confesses a salvation, there's a demonstration of it through what comes out of their life. Now, we're not perfect. Who here is perfect? Raise your hand. You better not be <laughs> We're not perfect. But you know what? Hear me. Look right here, you guys. That saying, I'm not perfect, is not your scapegoat. Let me say that again. That saying, well, nobody's perfect and I'm not perfect, is not the Christian scapegoat to keep on sinning. And that's what it's become for a lot of people. Well, you know, no one's perfect. You're right. No one is perfect. And then that becomes justification in the heart to keep doing what you're doing. That ain't God. And that's not a believer. 
God will give mercy and God will give grace. But Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? How God forbid, how can we which are dead to sin live in it any longer? There is a transformation that takes place. You're moving in a direction and it's forward, not backward. They didn't want to hear him. They didn't want to be saved because they chose unbelief. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.